Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. My name is Caitlin Byrne and I'm the director of the Griffith Asia Institute. And together with colleagues from the Queensland Art Gallery, Gallery of Modern Art, many of you will know as Quagoma. It's my great pleasure to welcome you, whether you're joining us from Zoom, uh, through Facebook or another virtual platform to this evening's Perspectives Asia Seminar. To begin, let me respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting. For me here in Brisbane, that's the Turrbal and Jagera people. But of course, there are many joining from many other lands. And in the spirit of reconciliation, I pay my respect to elders past and present, and I extend that respect to all First Nations peoples. So tonight is our third Virtual Perspectives Asia seminar for 2020. And in bringing these seminars to you, we work particularly closely with our colleagues at the Gallery Centre for Asia-Pacific Art. And we really do try to design conversations that allow us to explore issues of contemporary culture, politics and society right across our Asia-Pacific region. So for over 16 years now, we have felt privileged to co-host a diverse range of speakers looking at key developments in our region and Australia's relationship with it. And importantly, through this series, we really do hope to give voice to the many perspectives uh, and generate conversations that build understanding and empathy and also empower. And tonight is no exception. The title of this evening's seminar has been inspired by the words of the late Teresia Tewa, renowned scholar, poet, activist and mentor in and beyond the Pacific region. Internationally known for her groundbreaking work in Pacific studies, Dr Tewa's calling was clear and I quote, to remind people of the complexity of the Pacific and not let them try to paint us with a single brushstroke. And that's exactly the task of our speakers. We have tonight an impressive panel of young Pacifica leaders, and they're keen to take up this challenge. In doing so, we've asked them to share their perspectives and their experiences, and to also cast forward and consider the challenges and opportunities facing our region, and the Pacific region specifically. You'll hear more of their stories through this conversation, but let me introduce them briefly to you. Tonight's conversation will be led by Andrew Fa'avale, Chair of the MANA Pacifica Research Centre. Andrew will be joined by Irie Chow, President of the Pacifica Women's Alliance, Timothy Harm, Creative Producer for Conscious Mike and member of the Climate Warriors Brisbane organising team. Augusta Lokia, Vice President of the Brisbane Bougainville Community and active member of the Papua New Guinean community. And Megan Talbot, who is a small business owner and volunteer for youth programs and band member and also an active member of the East Newbridge and Queensland community. So this is a really special conversation that we're bringing to you tonight. And we know that many of you are tuning in, not just locally, but from right across the region and across the globe. So we're really keen for you to join us tonight by sharing your questions. And you can do that through the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen. So please feel free to submit questions at any stage through the event. And as you do so, let us know who you are and where you're joining us from. So that's enough from me. Let me now hand you on to the chair for tonight's conversation, Andrew, and to this fabulous panel. Andrew, the floor is yours. 
thanks, Professor Caitlin Mumu Lavot, CERV Ingale to Inova, Mone of Noa Tatute, Mafutai Fatasi, Awale, Luminati, Tanata Pacifica, Tanata Pacifica, Yaote Fatalofa to Iamel Malua Fia. As mentioned, my name is Andrew Fatavale. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm from the villages of Safa Koa, Matautu, Apia, Sangone, and Salilonga in Samoa. Uh, but I was born in New Zealand and now happily reside here in Australia with my wife and three kids. Um, I too would like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land upon which uh, we're meeting, even though there are various lands. For me also, it's the Turbu and the Yagara people. Um, and I'd like to express my gratitude for being able to live, play and um, work on such a core and central dimension of their very being, uh, which is their land. I'd like to also acknowledge that um, these have always been places of conversation, of collaboration, of talanoa, of learning and sharing, and um, acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. So it's a real honor to be here tonight to tell more about the Pacific um, and especially to hear from the representative voices of the brilliant young leaders that we have on panel, a couple of whom I've already had the pleasure of working alongside um, and a couple who I've uh, met just recently. So congratulations to Natasha, Aliyah, uh, Ruth and Professor Caitlin for banding together a really great team. Um, and together they represent the various parts of the vast body of water we call home, uh, Te Moana Nui Akiwa or the Pacific Ocean. It's fitting we've got voices on panel from across Micronesia, Melanesia and Polynesia, given that the framing of tonight's Talanoa is that you can't paint the Pacific with just one brush. Um, of course, as Professor Caitlin has mentioned, this is a phrase that is honouring uh, of the words of the late Dr. Teresia Taiwa, uh, to remind people of the complexity of the Pacific and not let them try to paint us with a single brush. And I believe she said that to insist we continue to celebrate our diversity, uh, our strengths, our complexities, but also so that we as Pacific peoples, wherever we may be, uh, wherever we may be located, resist other people's attempts to reduce uh, the Pacific to just one thing, is what, we, what, she, what she was quoted as saying, and also to just one issue. Um, from what I've read of Dr. Teresia, she was of Kiribati descent, born in Hawaii, uh, raised in Fiji, studied out of Hawaii and mainland USA, was a pillar of Pacific studies, and her last posting uh, was at the Victoria University of Wellington in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, so a life that traversed many miles uh, and various lands, and one which highlights, even in that really narrow and brief summary of her life, just how true her framing quote is that you can't paint the Pacific with just one brush. So in the same vein, our youth who are gathered here, uh, Irie, Tim, Megan Augusta on panel, uh, and they also have a variety of interest areas and advocacy areas. And so I'm really looking forward to the conversations and stories that will be shared tonight. Uh, welcome to you for and thank you so much for allowing yourselves to um, uh, be on panel, but also share stories on behalf of yourself, your families and your communities. Our first question then that I'm gonna throw out is, how do you feel about being seen as a youth leader for your community? And we might start off with Ari, if you can uh, begin there, uh, and then we'll just go around the group. Uh, firstly, Rana Nim, and good follow evening, you follow everyone. Um, firstly, I'd also like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land that I'm calling in from the Yagra and the Turubal people. It's a, a really interesting question um, for me. And firstly, I think I'd like to share what leadership is to me. Having grown up in the Solomon Islands, um, the country motto is actually to lead is to serve. Um, and I share that because um, when we're labelled as a leader, leadership comes with huge responsibility, 
and being seen as a leader and for my community, I think regardless of age means I have a responsibility to share and to serve my community, which actually has not always been as easy as that, particularly being a young woman. Although I share similar aspirations to many community members and elders, the experiences I've had have never been the same. And sometimes I think I have to work twice as hard in order for my views to be taken seriously and heard. So when people think of the Pacific, I feel that a lot of the time they group us all together as one voice. And although we are all tied together from, uh, by the world's largest ocean, there are many young voices yet to be heard. And so I do feel really privileged to be heard tonight and get platforms like this. I want to acknowledge that Tim, Meg and Augusta and all, and uh, sorry, Tim, Meg and Augusta, all three of, or four of us, sorry, um, have the privilege to have our voices heard tonight. And I think it's our responsibility to pass the mic to other youth as well. Awesome. Thanks, Ari. Uh, we might just move on to Megan, if that's right. Um, yeah, good evening. Bona marum to everyone. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I kind of um, echo the, um, what Ari has said as well. And I think, I think specifically, um, just for me, the being, being seen as a leader in my community, it, it carries a huge responsibility as well. And it's not just in, um, in what we, um, in what our responsibility is, but it's also, it carries a lot of love in that as well and inclusivity um same with Irie but yeah it's it's so cool I think that what we um what we are seen doing needs to attract and and people in the way that they see us like are they following someone that um that knows what they're doing that is involved that cares about them and I think one of the main aspects of being seen as a seen as a leader is just um mostly it's um humility and knowledge which is huge for a lot of Pacifica people, I think, yeah, is a lot of humility, knowledge, and just love and caring about others around you and just, um, yeah, passing on the, the mic to other people and to hear their voice as well, yeah. Thanks, Meg. Uh, we missed this bit, which is really important, actually, but can you just give us a bit of a background culturally and locate yourself culturally? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I'm from um, East New Britain, um, my, uh, specifically from the villages of Matalau and Bai and Nonga in East New Britain province in Papua New Guinea. Um, and I moved, I was born there as well, and I moved here to um, Brisbane in 2008. So it's it's such an honor to be here on this panelist. So thank you so much. Awesome. Um, Ari, if you don't mind, if we just come back to you so you can just explain a little bit about your cultural background. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I'm a proud Chukis from the village of Periesere in Weno uh, Chuk. Um, and I am also a Chinese Solomon Islander that was raised in the Solomon Islands. So I very much consider myself a Solomon Islander as well. Thanks, Ari. Um, Augusta, over to you. Hi everyone, um, Tibong from me. Um, my, my name is Augusta and um, I'm from Bougainville, born and raised there. Um, moved to Australia 2009. So how do, how do I feel about being seen as a youth leader for my community? Um, I think Ari and Megan kind of covered most of the aspects that I um, see myself in as well but I would say that it is a challenge being a leader in your community having to juggle both work 
work commitment and your school with the responsibility to lead by example and contribute to your community and and my country so like visibility is important and I feel that like I'm the face of my people in Australia so I know I'm a role model to like younger people in my island my family even in Brisbane and like yeah members at home and here in Brisbane so I do not carry this responsibility lightly but I am proud to um, by being culturally active and visible in Australia, I, I am especially excited and proud to see the positive effect that, um, positive effect that this, um, had, this could have my peers, um, this could have on my peers back home through like strong online presence and where we're able to share and encourage each other to grow and learn as a united front and ultimately to help break down social and cultural anxieties that may have um, when migrating internationally for study or work opportunities. I think that's about it. Just tell us a little bit more about the um, Brisbane Bougainville community. Uh, The Brisbane Bougainville community. um, I started um, being active with them, I think 2012 when I moved down to um, Brisbane from Cairns and um, basically um, we do events that we fundraise for hospitals back at home so so far we've done I think around four containers to probably four I believe um, um, to hospitals back home Um, we do we we do a lot of youth work for our Bougainville students that are based here in Brisbane. That's great. That's great. So yeah, we're just trying to get some context around culture and what you're doing here in Brisbane. Uh, oh so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we do cultural events. Um, we get invited to like perform in various events around Brisbane. We did um, one down in New Zealand. I think last year we got invited for to perform it for a film festival. Yeah, premiere for a film actually in Auckland. So. We've, we do a lot of great exposure for our island and Papua New Guinea in general. Cool. Thank you, Augusta. And we'll come back to the dance and, and the meaning behind the dance, etc. I'll throw over to Tim now. Tim, if you could just introduce yourself, give a bit of uh, uh, context around where you're from, but also the, the work that you're involved in or some of the work that you're involved in. My name is Timothy Hong. I am a proud Samoan Chinese multidisciplinary creative and community organizer. Um, I too would like to acknowledge the land in which I call from today, um, the Tuable people, the Tuable land, and I navigate on both Yagara and Tuable land here in Mianjin, so-called Brisbane. Um, my mother is Samoan. She's from the villages of Satawa in Savai'i in Samoa. And my father is full Chinese. He was born and raised in Suva, Fiji. Myself and my sister were both born in Canada, Vancouver, and we were raised in Brisbane, Australia. When I was nine months old, my parents decided to move to Australia for a better future. And since then, I've been working within the Pacific community. So as Andrew and the Griffith Institute explained a bit about myself, I am a creative producer for Conscious Mike, and I'm also a community organizer for the Pacific Climate Warriors Brisbane organizing team. Um, In terms of the question, what does being seen as a leader in my community mean to me? I think Megan, Irie, and Augusta best articulated it um, in a sense that 
for me, leadership is about honoring my ancestors and cultural identity. Um, and my leadership style is grounded in challenging and reclaiming narratives. And through my leadership roles, I hope to create and hold and share space for and with people of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. So within my work, I think as Augusta and Irene and Megan touched on, visibility, inclusivity and diversity is very important, especially within the topic of tonight of you cannot paint the Pacific with one brush. Um, I think especially in the Pacifica environments and spaces that we navigate through, we try to make our Pacifica spaces more inclusive of all people, all genders, all sexualities, beliefs, understandings and perspectives. And we acknowledge that people come from different backgrounds and upbringings within the Pacific. For me, being a Pacifica diaspora, that conversation is a lot more different and that will be a lot more different for as opposed to Ari or Augusta or Megan as well. So I also would like to thank the Griffith Institute for giving me this opportunity tonight to speak. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. And um, you touched on a, a point that's really interesting, actually. You're the only one who's born here in Australia. The rest have been born back in the islands. So we're talking about multiplicity of identities, given that we're here, all here now in Brisbane, studying and doing your things, representing your families. And with that comes challenges of navigating, you know, uh, a few different elements in, in two kind of worlds and, and worlds that are often non-aligned uh, collectivity where you're giving back for the greater good and individualism where, you know, you're, um, you're really thriving to, to your own, uh, the beat of your own drum really, and you're supported to do that. Um, Ari, I might just throw it over to you, given that you um, are doing work in the Pacifica Women's Alliance. How, how's that most multiplicity of identities um, kind of playing out for you, but also the women that you're representing and you're coming across in your organization? Way to hit me with a really tough question first, Andrew. Honestly, that's that's one that I am unable to answer because I feel like it changes from day to day. Um, and being diaspora, you really never know what to um, to expect. But in the space of women's, I I feel privileged that um, coming as a Micronesian, I have been raised with really strong matrilineal values for coming from a matrilineal society and it has also made me really passionate to be the advocate for women on their role and their rights um, not so easy being a young woman and speaking for um, all women but like my fellow panelists have said it is a privilege and an honor and we're proud to take up a role like this i guess the challenges that i've I mentioned a little bit earlier, the challenges most definitely are, you know, the, the age, but how, I, how I've been able to combat that, I think is really pushing in the youth space intergenerational learning and dialogue. And I feel like it is an important step, um, not just for young people, but solutions in general, when we talk about the issues and the challenges we have um, without intergenerational dialogue and learning, um, I don't think we'll be able to get um, as far as we can. Sorry, does that answer your question? Yeah, so can you just give a story or an example of how that happens in the PWA? Um, so I guess I will just share a few or the most recent initiative that we have. And in PWA, we've really taken a focus on developing our young leaders, particularly our young women. And um, it's been great because Augusta is now part of this initiative. Um, and that is to develop young women um, to be able to 
build on their public speaking and their leadership skills. So we're doing this by collaborating with the Pacifica Young People's Wellbeing Network that is a project led at QUT um, and managed by Sarai Tafa, who is also part of the Pacifica Women's Alliance. Um, so it really is about developing our uh, women and our young people. Thanks, Sari. I might throw over to you now, um, Augusta, given that you know, um, you've got really strong links back to Bougainville. How are you um, navigating that process of being here in Brisbane? Obviously, you're part of the Brisbane Bougainville community, but how are you maintaining links and how are you dealing with the differences of the context in Brisbane, Australia, and um, of home in Bougainville? Honestly, um, like coming first coming into Australia, like coming from a small island, and coming to like, it was sort of like a culture shock where I had to get used to um, like the lifestyle here. I remember coming in and um, I couldn't even like the diet. I stopped eating for like some time because I wasn't used to the food here and I lost weight a bit. But, <laughs> but um, being here in Brisbane, the sense of community, um, how we're all like, having like community it helps us to like sort of like bringing home a bit closer for us and um wait sorry what was the question again no no that's it so you know your transition from bougainville yeah you dealing with that and how you maintaining those links obviously you're part of the brisbane bougainville community but what other things um have you experienced in terms of the differences it's mostly like having like with work lifestyle and um the living living lifestyle here is probably like one of the big things like back at home it's laid back whereas here it's having to prioritize like work school and then with the community stuff that we do we have to, like we try to make sure to sort of um make sure to teach the other generation that grew up here about home because probably some of them don't get to go back home. So that's great. So you yeah. have that intergenerational kind of um, responsibility yeah. too. Yeah. Those people who haven't. And having that, I grew up there. I sort of take the lead of teaching. I know, like, I know my language, and with whoever that's from my area, when I get the chance to speak the language, or you know, I try to like speak the language just to keep the the culture alive and like. It's sort of like bringing home closer when, yeah. All right, no, thanks, Augusta. I might have to go to uh, Bougainville and maybe the culture shock might help my diet. But Megan, uh, how about you? You've come from PNG as well. Uh, how's the transition for you? Pretty, pretty much same question. Uh, you're from East New Britain and you, you've got the transition here to Br uh, Brisbane. So how's that transition been for you? What are some of the main uh, differences that you've seen and some of the sameness as well? Yeah, I think some of the differences is how aware the Pacific is of its neighbours. Um, that's something that I found um, a bit confusing because I, I moved here and I went to school and everyone kind of knew, um, everyone didn't know where PNG was. Most people didn't. And I was like, you know, we're up the top. But um, I think knowing the, um, just realising how much awareness the Pacific has and how really we it's we try to learn more about our neighbors because it's just relational like the pacific is so relational we want to know everyone we want to know our neighbors and so coming here the culture shock for me was how 
most neighbors were kind of would keep to themselves. So that was a huge, it was a contrast of usually everyone just walks into our house and gets whatever they want or, you know, the next person just goes over. But here it was like there was more clear boundaries on who's who and you can't enter certain spaces. And for me, that was huge because I was like, I thought I was allowed to be in every space, but I'm, <laughs> there are some spaces that are, I'm not allowed to enter. But yeah, I think the way that I, I moved and got maintained connection was pretty much the same as Augusta is like having um, societies and, and people that knew the culture and were all about maintaining it. So I had my mum who is an incredible um, networker, I think, um, like most specific mums. But yeah, she she would always um, do this thing where she'd bring me along to things. And that's how I got involved with the East New Britain, Queensland community. And that kind of helped me speak my language a lot more and feel more comfortable. And um, that helped, it, it's, I still speak fluent Kuanua, which is my um, native language because of um, people like her and, and her friends and, and bringing me into those spaces. And then I would ha- then help friends who were from where I was from, from East New Britain and couldn't understand the language. So I think having spaces like that and being part of creating that space, like I was one of the first people in the group um, when it's first started. And um, I used to be the vice secretary until this year when like carrying the load of everything was, it weighed on me a little bit. So I dropped off, but um, it's so crucial to have spaces and be involved in, um, yeah, in, in, in creating spaces like that for other people where they can know where they come from and remember it constantly throughout the year. Yeah. Cool, so much in there. I just want to acknowledge the carrying the load for all of you guys. You carry a load. It's a responsibility. It's a blessing, but it's also a, a, a heavy lift uh, that you guys do, given that we're collectivists and we're um, trying to maintain cultural links, etc. Um, and then the other part was the Pacific, the Pacific being really aware of their neighbours on a macro scale. So we're in the Pacific. I know that there's a fight to stay regional and uh, push for a regional voice. Um, but even on a kind of micro, you know, neighborhood thing, you know, our houses are very separate here. And a lot of that's due to just the climate, etc. Uh, but Tim, I might throw over to you about this uh, Pacific awareness. How is awareness in the Pacific uh, really important in the work that you're doing, maybe in uh, Conscious Mike or even in the climate change uh, movement? Yeah, so climate change is definitely one avenue in which we do raise a lot of awareness um, of the Pacific, especially being part of the Brisbane Pacific Climate Warriors team, our way of, I guess, celebrating culture or giving um, awareness to climate change in the Pacific is very different as opposed to, you know, um, the, the many countries in the Pacific who advocate for climate change as well. So just a brief, um, just a bit of context for the Pacific Climate Warriors. Um, The Pacific Climate Warriors is a grassroots movement and network of Pacifica warriors, activists, community organizers, community leaders, artists, and people in our community who are passionate about the environment, um, preserving culture, land, sea, and their culture. As many know, the Pacific and Indigenous people around the world are on the front lines of climate change. And despite being the least contributors to climate change, we face the impacts of it the most. So throughout our work, we like to honor our ancestors and celebrate our culture that has been passed down to us for many, many years. Um, And we do this through 
creative storytelling through cultural dance, through ceremony, um, and through celebrating the many diverse cultures that we have. And we do this through mobilizing our communities for storytelling events, for many discussions of Talanoas, where we are able to discuss the impacts of climate change, um, amplifying our voices through these many different avenues, um, as well as creating spaces where we can talk about the impacts of climate change and our resistance and resilience as Pacifica people. So I think through the work that I do in raising awareness of the Pacific, it's very important, especially within our um, within Australia, I think a saying that we go by in the Pacific Climate Warriors Brisbane team is, as Pacifica diaspora people, although we may not be on the front lines of climate change living here in Australia, um, we are on the front lines of climate action. So our government, our policy makers, our decision makers are the people who are responsible for, you know, these major impacts of climate change. And it's our duty as um, Pacifica people here in Brisbane, and I can't speak for all um, Pacifica people here in Australia, but it is, it is our responsibility to, you know, apply pressure on our government organisations and um, leaders to divest from fossil fuel industries, um, to transition to renewable energy and to maintain um, underneath the Paris Agreement target of 1.5 degrees. Um, and yeah, I think through the climate space, it has taught me that awareness of culture is very important when it comes to, I guess, representing our people back home in the villages. And through art, I've found, I've found my medium and able to tell our stories in, in the Pacific and what it's like to live in Australia, have that, you know, um, real warrior spirit in order to, like, fight back against the climate crisis. Brilliant and um, great work to yourself, Lisa, and the others who are involved in that. Um, throw over to you, Irie, uh, you know, raising awareness about Pacific people in uh, the Australian community. Obviously, we're about 1.4% of the population here, which might be old data, but we're, it's, it's a really... Um, small percentage actually but how a pacific women's alliance or how have you and your other initiatives um tried to raise awareness of the wider um to the wider australia australian community about pacific and pacific people i guess awareness for us is really about elevating elevating the voices of women and sharing their stories um one thing that i think the pacific or the pacific people um especially when we're talking about um our our um, people back home, um, when it comes to these issues and these challenges, uh, the Pacific are often seen as, you know, the voiceless. Um, but we actually, you know, have a voice and we don't need other people to speak on our behalf. So with PWA, it really is about elevating the stories um, because um, our stories are powerful. They're full of mana and that is, you know, power, love, hope, resilient strength all in one. Um, mana just cannot be translated into an English word. Um, and for us, it's also about sharing what our culture is because we have so much to offer as well. Awesome. Um, in terms of you kind of saying that we, we have voices, we don't need to be represented by others. Um, is that prevalent in the space? Uh, yes, I, I think so. Mainly because when um, we talk about, you know, helping the Pacific or developing the Pacific, um, often people come in and they want to fix us. There's like, 
there is an issue, but more so I think it's a miscommunication. There's a little bit more understanding, a little bit more awareness that needs to happen. Um, and I think what I can offer um, for those wanting to support young or Pacifica communities is you can support our community by really doing your research, being aware of these cultural protocols, and also just passing on the mic to us. When I said we are not voiceless, um, I really mean that we just don't have the opportunity to be heard. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, Tim, Megan and Augusta, we all have that privilege tonight, but there are so many other incredible young people um, that need spaces like this as well. So we're really thankful for the Griffith Asia Institute for providing tonight. Awesome, and that's a really humble um, acknowledgement too that there are others out there who uh, deserve a platform like this as well. Augusta, uh, when we're talking about in terms of Bougainville, um, we've seen that, um, you know, just to follow on from the point with uh, with Irie, we, we actually do have a voice. And uh, back in Bougainville, there was a huge mobilisation of young voters um, in the recent election. Do you, want, do you have any thoughts or uh, comments on how y y uh, young voters were mobilised back at home? And, and you know, as our previous discussions uh, went, it felt like they really got the vote over the line. Yeah, I would say they are the majority of the population. And I think I would say, I don't know. So was it a surprise? Help a sister out, Augusta. <laughs> Pardon? Let me help a sister out. Yes. I know we've had a chat about this and like, I think what Augusta is wanting to put forward and I think to answer Andrew's question. So Bougainville recently, um, there was a referendum to be independent. And what was amazing as someone that's not from that area is um, the impact or um, the pressure that the youth, the young people had on these government leaders. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like it was a really high percentage. I think 90% of the votes were young people. I can see Meg nodding. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it was, it was huge. I, I think coming from PNG and seeing that as well, like that's huge um, because usually there's a 50-50, like there's older people and younger people, but the younger generation, they're really stepping up, especially in the Pacific, which is massive. And um, the fact that that happens, it actually gives me goosebumps because I know that they're desperate for change um, which is huge and it ties in with everything. I think even with what um, Augusta has been doing here in Brisbane as well and um, connecting everything together and seeing more youth, like Augusta's incredibly young and she's leading, she's the vice president of the Bougainville Association here. That to me is uh, incredible. And so I think that's been like similar in Bougainville as well, just seeing young people rise up desperate for change and even voting like in the referendum, even despite kind of not knowing what it means as well, but they know they want change. It's been awesome. Yeah. Talking about, you know, desperate for change, Megan, what are some of the things that um, you're desperate for change in? That's a big question, Andrew. <laughs> big question. Just throwing it out. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I'm desperate for change for is just voices to be heard in the Pacific. I feel like, um, especially people in power and people in leadership in PNG currently, I, I, I just wish there was more of a connection between the top and the bottom. 
and there's a lot of things missing in the middle, which is why, um, yeah, I think people are crying out for just to be heard. Like they want to know um, that their, you know, that their stories are going to be heard, that someone's going to make a change about it, and it, it's across a bunch of things happening in the Pacific right now, and um, with it's uh, as in PNG currently, it's um, domestic violence, and um, there's just a lot of things where people are, are hoping for transparency with leadership. And, and I think with the younger generations coming up, I hope that this is what we carry is a responsibility to our elders, but also to the people coming after us that, um, you know, that there's nothing that is off limits, that there's nothing that we hide, but we carry ourselves with integrity. And um, yeah, that when people like, it doesn't matter how much, money is thrown at us or you know that we are always true to have like taking care of our people and our elders and bridging the gap in the middle like I think that's huge that's what I'm desperate for change for is just transparency and and more care to um people higher and lower than you cool well put I, I guess I'll put that question across the panel what are you desperate for change um and I'll go back to you, Augusta. What are you desperate uh, to see changed back at home or even here in the community? I think it's the same as Megan. Like, we, I think it's like a Pacifica thing where younger people tend to respect what older people say, that we, they sort of, we're sort of like voiceless in that sense because we have to respect our elders. So we don't have much to say. So, I would say I'd like to see a change to like sort of fill in that gap where they hear us and we hear what they say. They say, yeah. Cool. And, and, you know, congratulations because you're a very young vice president of that association and, and you're bridging that gap that you're, you know, wanting to see bridged. Um, Tim, same question. What's uh, something that you're desperate for change? And I know there's a lot, but if you could pinpoint one, that'd be awesome. I would, I hope to hear and see our Pacifica voices and stories elevated and amplified. I think um, amid the climate crisis, as incredible of the climate strike and how many young people around the world have engaged with the conversation, I still don't think it is a space where Indigenous, Black and Brown and colored voices are being heard. And I think within you know the, the time frame that we are in, I really hope to see change in who we prioritize as the voice. And I think it's really important as we've um, discussed tonight about passing the mic. Um, and that's something that I, I really am passionate about within the climate space. Um, but also in terms of creative arts, I want to look to a future that is for us and by us. And I think that's something that I always try and emphasize when we talk about, you know, how we curate our art, how we present our culture. Um, and I think that reflects uh, like how we honor our ancestors. So for us and by us and prioritizing the voices of Pacifica and indigenous people around the world when it comes to climate change. Awesome, thanks Tim. Ari? Uh, probably echoing what um, Augusta mentioned and um, that would be the intergenerational dialogue and learning. So. When I think about, um, I guess this, what we can do better, I think of this really powerful analogy that a Pacific climate warrior, Brianna Fruin um, shared at the recent COP25. Um, and it was the special structure of our canoes, our vakas, our wasiris. Um, and that is the key, I think, to finding solutions for a more just future for us. 
So in a canoe, our elders, they sit at the back with their generational knowledge. And this could also be like our government officials and our world leaders um, that hold the wisdom um, to steer our canoes forward. So basically just to steer us. But at the front of the canoes are our young people, full of heart, passion, love, and energy um, to push our canoes forward. And without youth, you know, we would not be able to get to our destination or our solutions fast enough or further enough, particularly now in this like ever-changing world. And we often hear that, you know, youth are the leaders of the future. But I think at the end of the day, young people will be experiencing the severe consequences of the decisions made today. Um, and I love this particular message that the late Nelson Mandela shared. And he said, youth are the leaders of today fighting for um, the future of tomorrow. Um, and I think um, that's something that I kind of carry with me in these spaces as well. And intergenerational dialogue and learning, I think, is just so vital when we talk about all of these challenges that we're facing. Given that um, intergenerational uh, dialogue and collaboration is really important across uh, a few of you here, how can then us older folk and other, and also not only, you know, relating this also back to just pass us the mic, how can other people who are advocating for, uh, for us and especially you, uh, the youth, and also older people from within our own communities and cultures pass you the mic? What are some simple practical ways that they can happen? Um, simply passing the mic means um, making or letting youth be a part of the dialogue. Um, you know, so when we speak about the Pacific and these um, issues that affect youth, um, it's so, like, it baffles me that youth are never a part of the conversation from the get-go. Youth are, you know, just, I guess, consulted towards the ends of these process to see if, you know, through a survey, you know, are, were these projects um, useful for youth? So we're never really consulted from um, the beginning and most of the time I feel that youth involved in the process just to tick a box. So I think with this dialogue, um, youth really just need to be present from the get-go. One youth member does not speak for all as well. So like in the Pacific, because we are so diverse, you would never ask a Fijian to speak about issues related to the Marshall Islands. And I think that's the same case as well for young people. Um, and I said this before, we are not voiceless. And I don't believe others need to speak on our behalf. Um, we have so much to say and to share our culture and our stories as well. What I would like to see young people or more Pacifica people do is control our narrative. And I've been listening to your podcast, Andrew, um, the Global Pacifica podcast that you host. And one of the quotes that um, I absolutely love is that we as Pacifica people need to be digital navigators, not passengers. So. Um, we really need to be controlling our narrative and not taking on, I guess, as someone that's come from the islands. Um, I take my culture with me wherever I go. When it comes to solving issues, I solve them in a way um, culturally appropriate to me. I don't believe I should be taking on some Western protocols when uh, I don't connect with them. Awesome. Um, I might throw it over uh, to you, Augusta. How has... Um because we're talking, uh, so the example that Ari threw out was in Fiji, we wouldn't um, 
advocate or represent uh, for Marshall Islands. Actually, here in Brisbane and in Australia, and in fact, the diaspora, we have a really cool opportunity to mix and mingle in in, in the same lands. So uh, a question from Ruha, actually. Hi, Ruha. Um, how might living in the diaspora, having opportunities to interact with the diversity of Pacifica and other cultures um, represented here in Queensland, broadened or deepened your perspectives of your own culture and heritage? In the sense of like being part of these communities, it has allowed me to, because like being from like, like living in Brisbane and joining these different groups, I got to learn about like the different things that happen around the Pacific because I got to mingle with different people um, like the Pacifican groups um, at QUT or at Griffith, I got to, I like talking to like the different individuals, you, you learn about their backgrounds. And um, basically, um, like I was part of the PNG Student Association in Griffith. We, we, were, we do um, events with the other groups as well. So that allowed me to like learn about the other cultures from like people from different cultures and stuff around the Pacific, around the world. Yeah. Uh, that's great. And let's just touch on that too, because you mentioned the university thing and those associations are so critical um, yeah. in terms of building relationships. Um, Tim, you're part of the U- UQ SPIEL. You were, Ira, you started with Daphne, the uh, QTPA. Uh, and Megan, are you part of Griffith GPA? No, uh, just making assumptions on, on, on the platform. Uh, Tim, do you just want to explain how important it is for you to have been part of UQ Spear, which is the Pacific Island Association there? Yes, yeah, so I, to give context, um, growing up in Brisbane, I attended predominantly private white schools. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white street and a church as well. So I attended high school all throughout um, North Brisbane. And at the end of grade nine, I had the privilege of going to the Queensland Academy for Creative Industry, where I majored in design art, and I was able to further my practice in um, design art. And um, it was there when I really grew a passion for my culture and my identity. And I even remember my final exhibition in grade 12, I explored the word diaspora and what it meant to be diaspora as a Pacifica um, young Polynesian man navigating these spaces. So, um, you know, continuing on to university, although I was always, you know, the only Pacific Islander in a lot of the spaces and, you know, educational academic spaces I'd navigated through, um, I really wanted to make up priority to myself to, um, to really engage with my community. And I think if anyone knows the University of, Queen- University of Queensland, they w- you could tell that it's not the easiest space to navigate when it comes to, you know, diverse groups of people. Um, and in 2014, um, it was the right timing for UQ to finally have a Pacifica Association. So um, a few of us actually met up around campus and decided to create the UQ South Pacific Islander Association in 2014. Um, And starting the association with an incredible team of Pacifica people, I had the opportunity to be the club advocate where we went out to um, high schools with high populations of Pacifica students and um, advocate for further education and 
um, tertiary education as well. Um, I also was the club, um, club advocate and publicity and promotions coordinator, where I created a lot of the design marketing tools that we used in the early stages of UPSPR. So again, bringing what I learned from um, the Queensland Academy for Creative Industries and kind of using it as a creative vessel for the work that I would continue to do. And through that, it has helped me engage with my community. I think prior to 2014, I didn't even know of any other Pacifica cultures other than Tonga or Samoa or Fiji. And I think tonight's a perfect conversation of the saying, you can't paint the Pacific with one brush. Because when I began at UQSPR, I had the opportunity to learn about Kiribati culture or in Papua New Guinea and, you know, the many, the many different um, issues that other Pacifica countries face. And along with that came the Pacific Climate Warriors. So... Um, the UQ Spears first ever event was actually welcoming the Pacific Climate Warriors onto the St. Lucia campus. So I think it has given me so much opportunity to not only connect with my community, but to connect with my ancestors better and to really represent for, you know, the, the cultures that I come from. Um, but in saying that, I think it's, you know, really important to reiterate the importance of Pacifica networks in your communities. Um, and like, as I was saying the other night on our um, pre-planning call, you know, we all came from other Pacifica associations. And I think the beauty of these groups are that we have been able to continue on for so many more years. And in order to, you know, further our work as Pacifica people and create more spaces where we are more visible and where we have the mic and we are able to engage with, you know, different generations and many different other cultures, whether it be, um, Polynesian, Micronesian, or Melanesian. So I think um, being diaspora, although we aren't on our motherland, we have so much opportunity here in Brisbane, I can say, um, to really engage with our, our, our community. Awesome. Thanks, Tim, and congratulations on all that work as well as you, Ari. I might just um, zoom out a little bit and because we're talking about interconnect, uh, interconnectedness here in Brisbane. But um, Megan... Um, to what extent and in what ways do you think that Australia itself is a part of the Pacific family? Oh, um, I think it's a huge part. Um, when we, I think just in relation to where the Pacific is, that in itself shows that Australia is a huge part of the Pacific. Um, when people look for us, they first look for this huge landmass of Australia and then they look for us in the little islands around it. Um, and so I think it plays a huge role and I think they, um, I think here in Australia especially, there's a lot of um, initiatives and projects that um, go into the Pacific and kind of help. And um, I was just thinking about what um, Irie was saying before about um, actually asking the Pacific if they do need help and in what ways. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it plays a huge role. Um, and yeah. It's, it's massive. I, I'm kind of like scattered in the brain now, but yeah, I, yeah, there's a huge role that it plays, but it will if come I back. Can... <laughs> sorry, Meg. I, sorry. I did apologize for cutting you off, but if I can um, add yeah. on to that, Please. Australia plays a huge role in the Pacific and Australia is seen as basically like an older brother that, you know, decisions made here in Australia affect the Pacific directly. Like Tim mentioned, um, in the climate space, um, like Australia cannot, cannot afford to be making decisions so selfishly at times. Um, the decisions that they make affect the Pacific directly. And uh, also, as Tim mentioned, 
the Pacific, you know, contributes to the climate change the least, yet are the most vulnerable um, due to big players like Australia. So Australia is very much a part of the Pacific, um, but um, sometimes does not acknowledge that. Uh, and so maybe um, over to, uh, back to you, Tim. Do you, there's a question here that says, do you think that aid is a, an enabler or a hindrance uh, to the Pacific? Is the big brother uh, a good big brother or is he that um, controlling big brother? Um, I think it's a very indecisive big brother. Um, and I think, um, yeah, Australia, the Australian government cannot be complacent. The Australian government cannot postpone any policies that are yet to be made. Um, I think they have to be created now and because any impacts in, you know, the next week or year have its impacts for the next 10, 20, and 30 years. And um, especially when we speak back to the impacts of climate change, I think there was a question about what are particular, you know, impacts that we see happening in the Pacific. We're looking towards rising sea levels that could ultimately submerge, you know, our island homes, um, catastrophic unforeseen environmental events, dying crops and food supplies, um, erosion, extreme changes in weather patterns. Um, on the forefront of, you know, the impacts of climate change, we have Kiribati, Tokelau, Tuvalu, Marshall Islands, the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, who was, you know, just recently impacted by Cyclone Harold. You know, these are all events that cannot be, you know, determined by, you know, a policy that is yet to be made in the next year. It has to be created now. So I think when we talk about aid, um, it's important that, you know, even our allies and the Pacific Climate Warriors continue to amplify our voice in order to pressure governments and decision makers to create that change. Um, and, you know, upon many impacts, we can also talk about climbing grief. I think that's the most um, unforeseen impact is that it impacts Indigenous people all around the world. And um, it impacts the mental health of our elders and our young people. Um, you know, especially in, in, in the time we are now where we talk about, you know, mental health, I think climate change does impact that. And I think Western society is still trying to wrap their head around, you know, what climate change is, yet we have been facing climate change for quite a long time. So I think, yeah, Australia is quite an indecisive big brother. Um, they need to make the decisions now that will then impact the future that will come. Awesome. Um, look, I really appreciate the stories that have been shared so far. I think they're really uh, deeply insightful and um, they're very personal as well. Thanks for allowing yourselves to share those stories. It's just gone on seven. And so at this part uh, of the conversation, I just want to throw out uh, to some questions we've received either through the Q&A or the chat box. Um, and I might just start from a local context. Um, Osana Fata'ape uh, has asked, what's the best advice you've been given and how do you apply that to the way you live, you work and you carry yourself as a young Pacifica person? And I might throw that out to you, Augusta, if that's okay. So what's the best advice you've been given and how do you apply it in your young life? Oh, best advice. Um, man, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> I'll probably pass it on to Irie while I think of something. Love it. Thanks. Passing the mic. That's a very great piece of advice. <laughs> but um, I think I always, I reflect on what my parents have taught me. And a lot of that was really 
to do with um, when opportunities don't arise, create your own. And that was very much the case um, when I turned up to uni in orientation week and I was looking for the Pacific Islanders, looking for a stall um, that, you know, represented my people that I was able to connect with. Because like Tim, I came from a very, like a predominantly white or girls school. And um, there were very few um, Pacific Islanders. Um, so I always think back to this piece of advice. Uh, when opportunities do not arise, create your own. Um, and I have such incredible um, and supportive family members, my mom, my two brothers, and my late dad, as well as my partner, um, in that they have always supported me as someone that is always wanting to go and uh, create change, but also being a little bit of a reality check in, yeah, go change the world, girl, but um, do the hard work. <laughs> uh, what about you, Megan? Um, I think the best piece of advice was um, to stay flexible. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's huge, especially being a Pacific Islander, you never know what's going to happen. And that resonates with me a lot. And I've carried that all throughout my life. There've been things thrown at me where I'm like, you know what, I just got to keep going. And so we, I think we have to be that way for our families, for just the people around us is be flexible and, and think on your feet. So I think that's a huge one. We might pass the mic back to you, Augusta. Um, okay, so I just thought about it now. And I remember coming here and um, basically it's because I'm moving from like a different environment to, and there was like everything was a shock. I remember my dad probably just telling me, just keep trying. Because I remember just going in and I almost gave up because of like the different environment and the like being predominantly white like schools that I went to you sort of don't like to put your opinion out there when they when people ask um, you don't like to ask questions because you feel as though like you might say the wrong thing or so I would say keep trying and just keep moving forward you learn along the way thank you Augusta yeah that's such a great question um I think for me I've had the privilege of um, being mentored by some great leaders in our community, one being Lisa Viliomu Jameson, who I, I remember she said this last year at one of our conferences, and she said, we're not waiting to be invited to the table, we're creating our own. And I think I really echo what Iris says about not waiting for opportunities to arise. And I think as Pacifica people, especially in, in my circumstance, um, navigating predominantly white um navigating predominantly white spaces has always been an issue because there's so many different factors in enabled um in order to access or be welcome to the table so i think as we have seen it amongst all the work that we do both myself augusta megan and Irie, is that our communities have created our own tables we're not waiting to be invited you know we don't need to be invited i think we weren't even invited in the first place. So um, we continue to be resilient and we show resistance and you know, we create our own tables to you know, write our own narratives where we can pass the mic around as many times as we like. So that, that was a piece of advice that I continue to carry on in the work that I do. Awesome. Um, sometimes we are actually invited, but often we're invited to do some dancing. Um, a question here is, how do you feel about uh, performing and culture uh, to gain exposure, but also uh, about 
uh, the meaning behind it and making sure we articulate and communicate the meaning when we're asked to do these dances. I might throw it over to you, Megan. Um, I think dancing um, is not just something that, I know we are asked in spaces like you were saying before, and there's a lot of, it's such a sacred thing for us as Pacific Islanders. It, it doesn't just mean, like, I, sometimes I see people who comment on us dancing and they go, oh, that was really beautiful. But there's no, um, there's almost no appreciation of what it means to us that this is a story. This is, um, you know, there's a story here of someone coming and there's a journey that they're on and this is what this move means. And, you know, like, there's a lot more to it than... Um, us dressing up and looking great and doing a dance and I think I'd like I'd like to see more um, honor around people's culture and dances and um, not just saying that this is a people group from this place but actually saying what this means and and how um, beautiful this story is and going in depth more than just the visualization of it and ticking off I think in some spaces it can feel like ticking off a box as well um, but yeah, I think we, we are learning and growing in that area. Um, and I'd like, I'd like to see a lot more of, um, yeah, just the honor and, and not, and knowing more behind what is done than just asking a group to, to do a dance. Yeah. Augusta, do you have anything to contribute on that? Uh, given that you guys are often, um, uh, displaying your culture and sometimes it, it is meaningful and sometimes it might feel tokenistic. I think Megan has said most of what I usually think about before like uh, when we do have our performances because we our groups sort of perform together in most of the events and um but when we do go out we try to explain what the dances are about and we translate what the the actual songs to like the crowd and depending on the event we try to write out the translation so when people look at the song or try to sing along they know what the songs are about but yeah I would agree with Meg it would be nice because usually you always get oh that's like really nice dancing or they come and take a photo of us and or with us and they compliment our our cultural attire but it would be nice if they asked you know like oh what does this painting mean or all those little stuff because we do put our time and effort into it and like behind all our busy schedule, we have to like do practices making all those costumes. So <laughs> I would say sometimes when people don't, I mean, I don't mind, but it would be nice if they did ask about those stuff. Cool, thank you. I've got another question here from Ruha. Um, how might you describe the unique and indispensable contribution Pacifica peoples have to make to the advancement of not just Pacific peoples, but increasingly diverse global communities, say, for example, Queensland? I might start with you, Irie. Thanks, um, Ruha, for another difficult question. <laughs> you know, honestly, some of these questions, you know, it. I really have to reflect on. Um, I feel like the Pacific... Pacifica communities, they play a huge role here in um, Queensland. If you know Pacific people, they are some of the most friendliest, the most open um, communities actually wanting to share their culture. Um, I think what non-Pacific Islanders can take from our cultures is that openness. Um, and like what Meg mentioned in the beginning, you know, when she first came over here, it was a, a shock to not be able to like go into a certain space 
or like your neighbors are just so far away. I think what a lot of non-Pacific Islanders um, can take from our culture is that openness being, I guess, wanting to learn about us and just as much as we want to, to learn about everyone else. Tim, do you want to chip in there? Sorry, what was the actual question? So the actual question was, uh, how can Pacific people contribute uh, to really diverse communities uh, say, uh, and globally connected communities? So for example, here in Queensland, we were very multicultural. Um, how can we contribute positively to um, those kinds of communities? I think touching on what um, both Megan and Augusta spoke about in really understanding the culture that you represent. And I think when we do contribute our own cultural communities into um, diverse spaces, we need to be very mindful of how we represent. And I think we need to go back to our cultural protocols and, um, you know, go speak to our elders and speak to how how the work is supposed to be presented. Um, And I think ways in which we can contribute, I guess, is also acknowledging the many diverse communities in our Pacific. I think whenever we think of the Pacific, and it's funny that we have the topic tonight, you can't paint the Pacific with one brush. Um, you know, the Pacific is usually just umbrellaed underneath the term of Polynesian-centric um, cultures. So I think it's really important for, I guess, community organizers or coordinators and leaders within our Pacifica communities who do engage with the wider diverse communities to hold and share that space with the many diverse cultures in our Pacific communities here in Brisbane and in Queensland. Um, And I think it's about, you know, as we have said over and over again tonight, really passing that mic through the different spaces that we exhibit our Pacifica culture. Cool. Um, Thanks, Tim. I've got a question here from Anton. Um, if you were to return and resettle back in your home country, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, Meg, uh, Megan, um, I'm going to throw to you first. Uh, if you were to return and resettle back in your home country, what would be some of the good things you feel you'd be bringing back as a result of your exposure to Australian culture? And what would be some of the challenges? Something I think I would bring back is, I think I've gotten to appreciate my culture a lot more. I think I took it for granted when I was there and I never noticed, I never took notice in the little things of like society and like, you know, things that were taboo and like I'd look at it and I I knew about it, but it didn't really, yeah, it wasn't something I really cared for as much. But I think going back, I think I would be more aware of, of what my culture is about and even bringing back knowledge and education. Um, that's something I'm really grateful for, um, especially in, in PNG right now. Education is struggling a lot. Like, I think I had a story the other day from one of my cousins who was like, oh, the, the teacher didn't come to school today just because they t- didn't want to. So we didn't have class. Um, and so that's common a lot um, in, um, in, in where I'm from. So um, I think I would bring a lot more awareness to that and probably be more of an advocate for education in, in PNG. Um, currently with East New Britain Queensland community, um, the group sends a lot of um, educational and um, 
medical supplies. So we send desks to rural um, classrooms who don't have any kind of desk. Like they sit on the floor and they learn. Um, and so I think for me, I would be more of an advocate for that. Um, and I, going if, if I'm going to move back home, that means I'll have a lot of free time as well. So I'd probably, um, yeah, I'll just throw myself into it. Um, if I had the privilege and the opportunity to do that again and have the fi funds for it, then absolutely 100% education would be um, huge on my list. Um, and then some of the negative things about going home would probably be the medical system. Um, I think I'm very privileged here to have Medicare and um, free health. Um, and so I can go and when I'm sick, I go and I get something, but at home uh, people struggle and they wait for hours to see a doctor and sometimes there's not even a doctor. So um, yeah, I think that would be a struggle going back. Thanks, great response. What about you, Augusta, if you went home uh, back to Bougainville, uh, what are some of the things that you've learned that would help you in that and what would you say would be um, a real strength taking the experience from here? I would agree with Megan with education-wise. Like, I think our areas, like back home, is majority of Papua New Guinea's education is probably like one of the biggest areas that um <clears throat> especially like in the rural areas they like teachers don't attend like they don't go to class if they don't feel like going to like you know they and if it's payday they don't go there so I would say education like me bringing back knowledge and the exposure here and having to live live in a lifestyle where um <clears throat> just being productive because like <laughs> i learned love lifestyle is like they're so laid back and they tend to like not take things seriously so probably like bringing i would love to go and work with like young girls back home that would be probably one thing i would like to advocate for if i were to go back home challenges is probably going to be like the cultural barriers that I would have to deal with that would probably be like one of the big things because a lot of people are still tied back to their culture and the separation of like female and male and having that one like for Bougainvilleans um, predominantly it's a mat can't even pronounce the word matrilineal <laughs> um, society but when it comes you when you think about it, you still see the differences of like females are meant to be in the kitchen, females, and then like when you just see like the difference of like men are still in charge, even though culturally women are meant to lead. So if I were to go with and work with women, bring my knowledge and trying to empower them, that would be probably one of the um, challenges that I would have to face. Wow, that's awesome, Augusta. Yeah. A great response. Thank you. Ari, I might ask you a, a different question unless you really want to answer that one. Um, we've got a few here, but I might just jump in. David um, Walter has asked, how can Anglo-Australians like David be good friends to Pacifica Australians? I think um, what I mentioned earlier is that Pacific people are very open people and they are uh, so willing to share their culture because our culture means so much to us. Um, you might regret that question really, because once you 
become friends with the Pacific Islander. You then become connected to their sisters, their brothers, their aunties, their uncles, and you gain a whole new family. So, yeah, I don't know if that question would be working your benefit. <laughs> cool. Um, and, and I'll ask you a different one, Tim, and I might uh, ask this to everyone. It's a really cool one from Samid. Um, he says, thank you to all the uh, panelists for sharing your stories and insights. Is it important to... Uh, I was wondering if the panelists could reflect a little more on Pacific regionalism and whether it's important to solve complex collective problems. From each of your own perspectives, what does a vibrant, prosperous and secure Oceania region look like in the future and how can that be achieved? I like that it's forward focused and um, really strengths based. Uh, Tim, do you want to start us off? I think I'll pass that question on to somebody else if they wanted to answer first. It's quite a complex question, so I'm just letting it sink in for a while. So if anyone else wanted to speak on that. Um, I'm happy to jump in. Um, Although I am not an expert, um, I still feel that intergenerational learning and dialogue is something that is incredibly important across all issues, challenges um, in the Pacific, as well as, um, you know, on a global scale as well. Um, so I probably would push for that more young people, more voices from minority groups to be heard. Um, it is only then that we are able to move forward. Augusta, I will get a Megan. Is that what yeah. you're uh, Megan, if you come off mute, please, Megan. Oh, sorry. Can you repeat the question again? I, that was quite uh, a... Uh, what, does a vibrant, what does a vibrant, prosperous and secure Oceania region look like in the future? And how can it be achieved? So what does it look like? Um, I think... Yeah, a lot more seats at the table, I think. Um, um, I love what Tim was saying before about the big brother, but I really think more inclusivity in us having a seat at the table of our big brother. And not just that, but I know there are other countries that are so much stronger than us around the world who have Pacific Islanders living amongst them. Um, I think it's not even like you don't have to reach that far to find the Pacific Island to find someone who actually um, is for our cause and just having voices at the table um, where we can talk about the issues that are bothering us and how they can help because we really need a lot more resources and and our stronger bigger brothers and sisters around the world have those resources um, more than enough and I really think just help asking what they can do would be really helpful because we do need a lot of help and moving forward if we're all going to be successful and all on the same level we need to fill in the gaps and help each other out more so I think yeah just having yeah having more stronger more developed countries actually reach out and just ask how they can help. Thank you. Augusta? Could you repeat the question again? <laughs> uh, what does a vibrant, prosperous and secure Oceania or Pacific region look like in the future and how can it be achieved? probably agree with Irie and Megan with what they've said and I don't think I have much to say about that because I think it's more like I see that it's more of having basically just filling in those gaps and having different, um, different people speak because i think we're all different but you know, we're, we're the same with like different ideas and i think we can offer more if everyone comes together if that makes sense oh that's great thanks augusta yeah. uh tim are you okay to answer now yeah um yeah i totally agree with what all has been said i think 
in order to have a vibrant or prosperous Oceania, I think we need to acknowledge and take action for the injustices that occur within the Pacific. I think it's important to acknowledge the injustices like in West Papua, the continued genocide that happens to this day, um, you know, and, and the many other injustices, whether it be Mauna Kea in Hawaii, or, you know, the history of injustices from, you know, blackbirding with the relationship with First Nations people here in Australia. Um, you know, when we think about climate change and, you know, the impacts of climate change from the history in Micronesia with nuclear testing or um, mining in Banaba with phosphate um, and many other injustices, I think in order to move forward, we need to acknowledge the injustices that occur um, and we need to continue to dismantle, you know, white supremacy and um, decolonize all that has, you know, damaged or destroyed our people and ultimately have affected Indigenous people all around the world. So I think there is no vibrant or prosperous Oceania without change in, you know, the injustices that occur. Mic drop. All right, well, um, yeah, no, we're, uh, sorry for those who have asked questions and we haven't been able to get around to them. Uh, time is short and has uh, snuck up, uh, given that the Talanoran stories have been so engaging. Um, I just want to ask one quick whip around. What's the, uh, just to finish off on a strength-based uh, frame of our conversation, what's the best thing about a young Pacifica person in Brisbane or in Australia? And we'll start with you, Augusta. Sorry, could you repeat the question again? What's the best thing about a young Pacific person, um, being a young Pacific person here uh, based in Australia at the moment? I think it would be having, um, speaking on behalf of my peers and having the voice for the voiceless. I think that's probably one of the best thing. And also also voicing my opinion along along with everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Ari? Um, I would pro- probably speak to um, the passion of young Pacifica people um, and being um, part of diaspora here in Brisbane and Queensland. Um, I think another great thing is that we are on the front lines of action um, and we can hold accountable our big brother Australia. So um, I think uh, it's also a privilege, a responsibility, but um, something that I think like we have that privilege and we should take full advantage of it. Cool. Thanks. Sorry, Tim. I think we are resilient and resistant um, and we are our ancestors. And um, we, you know, we are at birth navigators and orators. And I think we continue to do so through the work that we all do. Thanks, Tim. Beautiful. Uh, Megan? I think it would be the um, openness. So we're very open people and, we have a common, we, we care for common knowledge. So we try to find similarities to connect with each other. And that, that is unparalleled. That's awesome. And um, so I just want to uh, sum us up there and wrap up. I'm really grateful uh, for the conversations that we've had, uh, the stories and the talanoa that you've shared. Um, I'm sure that uh, people who have attended have been enlightened and um, and blessed by the stories that have been shared tonight. I also want to thank your families that you're representing, your groups that you're representing, and all the different um, people, uh, whether past, present, or future, uh, that you're here to speak for. And we hope there's more platforms for you and for others. So thanks also to Griffith Asia Institute, Malo Love Fafetai, thank you to Mas Finaka Vakalevu, Malo Alpito, and thank you so much.
I'm going to invite um, Ruth McDougall, Curator of Pacific Art at the Queensland Art Gallery, um, uh, to, to join us now and uh, present our vote of thanks. Thanks, Andrew, and thanks, everybody. Um, it's a great honour to be able to respond to tonight's amazing panel um, on behalf of the Gallery and the Griffiths Asia Institute. Um, I'd like to acknowledge my colleague Ruha Fafita, whose amazing work at the Gallery really inspired us to reach out to this group here tonight. Um, and to, it's been really wonderful to hear about the diversity of experience brought together in such a an overwhelmingly positive expression of leadership, to be reminded by each of the panellists of the responsibility to serve that forms the foundation of leadership for them, um, to serve their ancestors, to serve their communities, and we've heard quite passionately tonight to serve um, other youth by creating platforms and by handing over that mic. It was um, wonderful to hear the, of the work that the uh, Pacific Women's Alliance is doing, developing the confidence and capacity of young women, women living here in Brisbane, and that our, the different community groups, both the Bougainville and the East New Britain community groups, are doing in bringing um, young people who have potentially been born here to, um, to engage with their culture the importance that everybody expressed about the of intergenerational knowledge transfer um, and dialogue. Um, great to hear from Tim about your work around with the climate change warriors and how passionately you spoke about the impacts um, of climate change for peoples in the Pacific and the work that you're doing um, using cultural skills of storytelling and art um, to raise awareness around that. Each of the panellists um, really um, demonstrated the incredible wisdom um, that Pacifica peoples have um, and are very generous, uh, generously want to share um, with, with a wider community here in Queensland. Their views are incredibly important for us here, um, particularly at this moment. You know, we are part of part of a region um, and Australia, I think, is only just really becoming to wake up to the fact that of its responsibilities, one of the major um, ones being to, um, to acknowledge those past injustices that have had and to step up to the plate and to be at the table and provide spaces at the table for, the, for that to be heard. So I'd like to... Um, on behalf of the Gallery and Griffith Asia Institute to give um, enormous thanks to each of the panellists um, tonight. It's been really, really wonderful to hear from each of you and, and to Andrew for uh, steering that canoe and the conversation. Thank you very much.